Everyone, hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen, and I'm sitting here in Dining Room Studios with the Mindy Cone. And I could not be more delighted. We've already bonded. She already taught me a Yiddish word that I didn't know. Pish. I don't know how I didn't know that. You know it now. Now I know. That's right. Humility. Keep learning. Real life starts today now (laughs) that I know that word. We've talked about hair. Um, Here's the thing. For people that have been longtime listeners or even just new listeners of me, a thing you probably know about me is that I am the world's biggest Facts of Life fan. The bit, like, I can't remember a time that I didn't watch that show. I, as long as I've known myself, I have watched that show. So people have recommended to me in the past, like, why don't you try to get someone, you know, a cast member on we'll your show? We'll all do it. I... We will all do it. All you have to do is ask. We're a very friendly lot. I'm going to pish myself. <laughs> there it Am is. Am I using it right? Oh, my God. Brilliant. It felt so natural. Yeah. Um, but I. this is the first time I've ever had someone from the show on my podcast because I haven't known if I've been able to hold – if I will be able to hold it – see, already the words aren't coming. I've been afraid. You sound good, though, so What it if I matter. can't hold it together because it's just like – I've likened it to flying too close to the sun. Like, what if I can't be adult – competent interviewer me because childhood me is like oh my god so anyway we'll see how this goes i already you're very easy to talk to the approval junkie in me is just letting you know you're setting the bar very high (laughs) and so i too am a little nervous and apprehensive so let's like do this together okay have i made you nervous and apprehensive no do you just come that way I'm wired that way. I don't come that way. I tend to come very relaxed. For those of you, if that's too TMI, that's where I go. Uh, no, I'm, I'm TMI actually in, is what this podcast is about, by the way. Fantastic. So We're going to get along yeah. famously. <laughs> um, I'm actually incredibly easygoing. I think I present as a nervous wreck or highly strung. Mm-hmm. I'm actually just incredibly emphatic and terminally optimistic. So I think I, I never really present how I feel inside. I'm actually the calm and the storm. That's interesting. So wait, you think that you present kind of like enthusiastic, emphatic, almost manic, it sounds like, which I don't think you do at all. Well, high energy. In other words, I I think people don't realize that I'm actually very shy right? because I have a face that says, come talk to me, Mm -hmm. even though that's like to my horror half the time. (laughs) But it's it's a shyness. It's not that I I don't like people. Yeah. Although, well. Maybe you don't like everyone? Don't like a lot of people. Okay, so you don't like a lot of people. I really don't. I'm a big loner. Mm-hmm. And I love people, like sociologically, cultural, like people fascinate me and I love them. Uh, but no, like big groups I don't do well in. Like, right. yeah. Well, that's kind of a... I, but I present like, oh my gosh, come talk to me. <laughs> Have you ever tried to, to make your outsides match your insides more? Yes. How'd that go? Um. I've then been told I'm a bitch, <laughs> which I'm not. Right. That I can actually tell you from my Granny Rose, I got her warm-heartedness. So mm-hmm. it's just I'm genetically disposed like to be kind and warm and thoughtful and empathetic. So. Right. So it sounds like when you tried to make the outsides match the insides, though, you just – did you try to be like less 
do you try to be more intimidating or I bet you get this with the puss that you have because you're friggin' adorable is I get the this. What's wrong? Yes. Like nothing's wrong. This is my serious. Fi- it, I look like I'm smiling even when I'm telling you to fuck off. <laughs> right. But I'm not. I mean, you know. Yeah. It's just my face. I can't help it. Right. Yeah. I do get people asking me what's wrong or is everything okay? And I'm like, I just, it's just my lips look pouty. I'm not in a bad mood, actually. I'm fine. Or I bet you don't get this. I get strangers telling me to smile and they can just fuck off. Wow. I wouldn't even think that about you. You have such a welcoming, warm, beautiful face. I Jeff, really want that. Would you get that? that? I would I'm not get that. I'm about to climb out of my skin. I'm I would so not happy. get that. No, I don't get that vibe from Alice. I can't imagine getting that vibe, and I'm really good at first impressions. Thank you so much. No, sometimes I'll walk down the street and I'll just be thinking about something, and someone will just tell me to smile, and I hate that. Yeah, that's a that's a weird thing that some guys do, where they they there's a sort of an expectation of a little bit more smiliness than than right. you might normally do. That right. just might be the vapidness of Los Angeles. New Yorkers wouldn't tell you to smile. You're actually from L.A. I was raised here, yeah. Now, I love the story of how you were discovered. You were just at the Westlake School, right? You went to the school where Charlotte Ray and the and someone else from the show were going to research for it's actually Life. It was actually Norman Lear. Um, wow. Yeah, it's a big wow because um, he's been really influential in my life, obviously. Um so uh, Westlake School for Girls, which is now Westlake Harvard, was mm-hmm. an all-girl private school. And uh, my sister was there three years ahead of me. And so it was where I was going to go. Mom did one drop-off before she <laughs> went to her law practice. And um, Norman and uh, Alan Horn, who was his second-in-command, who now, oh, just runs a little studio called Disney, <laughs> also another mentor of mine, gratefully, and Charlotte, came up to talk to girls to try and authenticate the script. You know, so Dara Perkins, me, Andrea Nagin, and I think there was one other girl and I don't remember. I have the Polaroid still from that day. Oh, wow. It's an oh, wow. Um, We're just talking to us. Do you miss boys? How is it wearing a uniform? Stuff. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, you're so funny. I want to write a part for you in my show. And I went, okay, you know, I'm about to go into eighth grade. I'm 13. (laughs) I mean, what do I know from this? Uh, and the next day I got a call from the headmaster who said, um, I guess they weren't kidding. Norman Lear wants you to come to his office. They've written a part. The name is Natalie. Apparently that's Charlotte Ray's best friend in high school. Huh. That's how they came up with the name. And green because it was my favorite color. Still is. And uh, Natalie Green was born. Crazy serendipitous. I tell Lana Turner has nothing on me. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um. So I want to get into what that experience was like. But first, I'm wondering, what was your childhood like before Hollywood happened? I uh, This might make some people nauseous or green with envy. It should do both. <laughs> what I'm about to say is true. Uh, I was born of two of the most amazing people who happen to also be the most amazing couple. Mm-hmm. They are a 3D, just perfect uh, example of the American dream. Met at 19, came from nothing, made everything of themselves. Let's just put it this way, dot, dot, dot. The 80s were very good to the cones, <laughs> uh, all of us. And so um, my parents were so young when they had my sister and I and um, set out to start their family and their life that they actually had the childhood with us. So we went on tons of road trips. My dad's work also lent itself to 
a lot of road trips. What'd he do? Um, he had a company. And, uh, you know, we, we hit the road. And we spent a lot of time together. And so my parents have always been, I've been very close to them. Mm-hmm. I like them. I don't just love them as mom and dad. I also just like them as human beings. Um, yeah. So I, I had a very idyllic childhood with grandma and grandpa and my granny Rose and everyone stayed alive for a very long time. And so um, incredibly healthy, mm-hmm. normal American I know you were so young, but did you have ideas of what you wanted to do when you became an adult? Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't go to a school like Westlake and not know what you're doing. So I was dead set to be a doctor, ready to go. Yeah. I still like – I do that a little. I've been lucky enough to be at the births of some of my godchildren, and um, uh, I I just – I do. I tend to like to help in that way. People Mm -hmm. in crisis and health-related, nothing freaks me out. Um, yeah. So then you get this opportunity when you're 13. Um, I imagine at that point, you don't realize that that will like chart the course of your career, right? How could you? I mean, first of all, it was this four week summer gig. And what happened when we got the initial pickup from Brandon Tartikoff at NBC, uh, it it was then this 13 weeks. And so it was not like it is now it was piecemeal. And so Mm -hmm. I kept you know, one of the deals that my mom made with Alan Horn and Norman Lear, who were very instrumental in making this happen, happen, and I don't think this has happened since, is my mom insisted I go to school. Oh, wow. So I would, I would go to school in the morning and English history, you know, math. And my granny, who worked at Saks Fifth Avenue in Beverly Hills, would come and pick me up and take me to the studio. I'd work, come home to four hours of homework a night. That was my life from ninth to twelfth grade. Um, with weekends doing press junkets. So it was sort of like, you know, in my family, it was my extracurricular activity. Instead mm-hmm. of the tennis team, I did this. So the fam- my family did not revolve around this. So right. it did not become heady in any way until I finished high school. And by then, you know, I'm 17. Mm-hmm. So And then it became heady? It became, you know, I think, you know, Thank God there was no TMZ or paparazzi. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I went hog ass wild with, by the way, all my other friends. And meaning that we had access to money. We were jet setting all over the country and the world. It was a very, for lack of a better term, I can't believe I'm saying this in an interview, Kardashian like, my mom was in the same suite as Robert, so I've known those girls <laughs> a really long time. But, um, it was that way where you have this access. It really was Beverly Hills 90210 without the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, beca- it suddenly became that way because you were suddenly 18? I had a car. Mm-hmm. I had freedom. I, it wasn't so much the money. It was that, you know, being on a TV show even then lends itself to traveling and getting these, I call my life serendipitous anyway, but these once-in-a-lifetime experiences – over and over and over again. <laughs> and and when someone says, like, what's your life like? I said, it, I say, I have once in a lifetime experiences all the time. Like, it's not lost on me. Mm-hmm. I'm incredibly, people wonder why, why you're so grateful. You're so, I mean, born to these amazing people, have this amazing family, get this opportunity. It's not like shit didn't happen mm-hmm. and things were hard. But in comparison, um, no, it's kind of been ridiculous so at the time when you went hog ass wild yes a <laughs> couple questions what were some of like do you have any regrets about your behavior at that time and also at the time 
did you realize how special it was or did it I mean I feel like most 18 year olds don't have enough perspective to be that grateful so this is where I'm 90 Allison I've been 90 (laughs) since I was born okay I have always known as a four-year-old I remember my dad tells this story because I don't remember it but he it's one of his favorite stories he said we were standing at the beach in Santa Monica watching the waves and you grabbed my hand and you hadn't even started first grade yet and you looked up and you're like dad this is so beautiful I almost can't take it and he remembers that and he said and you know one of the things that mom and I are so proud of you about you've never lost that I'm not nothing's lost on me Mm -hmm. you know nothing um so I I think again that's a disposition I think Granny Rose I don't you know I'm graced with that truly um so when I say Hogass Wild what I mean is there were parties there were concerts everything that you do as a teenager or a young adult I just did it kind of amped up, but it, it's not like it was extraordinary. It mm-hmm. was just, you know, right. backstage passes and meeting your heroes and getting to work with the most incredible people and getting to travel and staying in the most beautiful hotels and all that stuff that you dream about. And I'm sorry, I don't care where you come from. If you don't appreciate that, there's something wrong with you because mm-hmm. it's, you. at least for me, I'm very clear about clocking all of that when it's happening i always right. have been what are some of the like highlights that you can remember oh you can probably remember all of it oh but. i remember every single i remember what everyone was wearing i mean poor mindy right i can't remember a phone <laughs> number but like you know i can remember what i just think the access to the people and places and restaurants and uh meeting people that i admire I remember meeting alex haley when roots had just come out and they were uh, they were filming the miniseries, the miniseries hadn't aired yet, but I remember like we had all read that book and I mean, just meeting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the first things because I remember Norman Lear walking him from rehearsal hall to rehearsal hall, meeting every president and wow. first lady. Uh, yeah, meeting are you, the Pope. Wow. Yeah, come on. I mean, things like that or people coming up to me and, and just saying, um, oh my gosh, you're so great. Well, shoot. You know, I recognized they didn't know me to think I was great. But what they were saying was, you've made me smile. You've made me mm-hmm. laugh. You know, I don't know how that doesn't imprint on you as like, wow, this is so cool. How, you know, how cool is that? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, you mentioned that you went to school and then you'd go to the set. Yes. But you were working with um, actors who weren't doing that, right? They just had school yes. on the set. How yes. did you feel about that? I felt great. <laughs> I think a couple of them had uh, problems with it, and and I think it had to do a lot with inequity. And I also have to say that, you know, there's a reason there's no real bad gossip uh, about the four of us, um, because first of all, there really isn't any. I mean, there's there's stuff. We were together ten years. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's going to be stuff, but um, for the most part, I think the thing that set me apart, which always kind of would bite me in the ass unintentionally is that I didn't support my family financially, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, that, you know, we didn't pursue this. This came to us. 
and I'll say me because my family had really nothing to do with it. My parents didn't come to tapings. My mom was in court. My dad was busy. Um, the world didn't revolve around. And I'm not saying that the other girls' parents and families did that, but they did it more than mine. Right. Also because of where I lived and how I was raised and who I knew and who I went to school with, I had always been in the company of either daughters and sons of or – so I've always kind of had that glamorous little like, well, you know who I had dinner with? <laughs> Because my friend, that's my friend's dad, mm-hmm. you know, or stuff like that, that I think the girls sometimes in, when we talked about it years later, and we've talked about everything because we're <laughs> girls, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and, and we love each other and we're still very close. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that um, there was jealousy. Now, it didn't present as backstabbing bitchy shit, but, you know, you feel it. I would come in after lunch. They had all worked and been in studio school. And here comes Mindy, fresh as a daisy, just having a chat with Grand Rose on the down Sunset Boulevard. You know, it's like, I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't equal, and mm-hmm. it didn't feel the same. And I was kind of on the outside. I always had an outside life. Like they felt like you had special treatment. I don't think special treatment so much is different. Right. Right. You know. Um, now, when you you say that because you didn't support your family, do you mean because you your family was not super poor? My family uh, not only was not super poor, but, you know, my what I made was for me to be kept for later. It was not to be used to support the family. My parents could support the family. Right. And I don't even think if my mom had been a cashier and my dad had sold cars, they would have done that. That's their, you know, however Beverly Hillbillies we are, my parents are very middle class. And um, that's a middle-class value. The kids don't support mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy support the kids. And so are you, and are you saying that you were working with people where that wasn't the case and so they might have had misgivings about that? I think it's challenging when you do, when you work on a TV show and then you go home and you're the king or queen of your castle, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I think you're just, you walk through the world differently. I was very much my parents' kid mm-hmm. uh, when I was home. And it stayed that way till I graduated high school and moved out on my own. Um, and I had an older sister who also had interests that were just as important. My dad's business was just as important. My mom's court cases or her clients were just as important. My granny's health, my whatever else. And mm-hmm. I had friends and I just had a bigger life, I think, than they did um, by design, not by choice. Right. Yeah. Right. That's what I mean. And, you know, Lisa's family, for example, Nancy's family, for ex- well, Kim's too, although her mom worked and still works, oh my gosh, so hard. But I think they worked so hard to support their kids' dreams that when the dreams came to fruition, they reaped the benefits. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they put their kids to work and they're horrible parents. It's another reason I think you don't hear shit about us. All four of us come from incredibly amazing families. There's not one bad family in the bunch, truly. And you'll talk to everyone. Now, oh my god! So you'll see. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> you'll see. Every, I would love that. Everyone comes from a very good family, but I do think that inequity. When you're 13 years old and you're supporting the family, there's a pressure that right. I didn't feel. Right. At what point in all of this did you decide? Yes, I do want to become. I do want to go into showbiz. That's my calling. I'm not going to become a doctor. 23. Really? <laughs> yeah. It was actually Cloris Leachman, one of my mentors, who basically, you know, I always felt that I was missing out on what my friends at school were going through. Mm-hmm. I missed college. I got deferred. 
we were still shooting. So I loved what I did, but I didn't know if it was for me. I didn't know if that was my 15 minutes or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I started having friends go to law school and get married and have kids and uh, become a Supreme, you know, work for the Supreme Court and real estate and all different kinds of things. And I felt left behind, even though I was having this amazing career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I went through a little bit of a middle-aged crisis at, you know, 21 when the show ended. And that's when I went to college um, and just kind of wanted to, I don't want to say die for a while, but live a normal life. And uh, Cloris was very instrumental in saying, you know, you may not realize it, but you're an amazing actress. It doesn't matter that you didn't do a Pampers commercial at six, <laughs> you know, and I think you need to fall in love with your talent and get in class and see if this is for you. You have the mental disposition to deal with the rejection, like better than anyone I know. And again, serendipity. Mm. You know, I would have conversations with Lucille Ball and Geraldine Page and Ruth Gordon and women that literally have changed my life to this day, who all said, this is what you're supposed to do. You understand that, that how you came to it is luck, but you aren't lucky. Mm. That's so interesting. I relate so much to that feeling that this stuff has come to me easily. I don't think this is necessarily what's for me. Like I've got to go out and seek the thing that's for me. And then it's like that moment of realizing, no, I am where I'm supposed to be. You bet. You bet. You bet. And that, you know, I mean, for lack of lighting a candle and rubbing a Buddha, I mean, that's the spiritual work, I think, at least for me that I've been doing and done and continue to do where it's, you know, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, whether it's good or bad, that to take life on life's terms. And, and not, you know, everyone wants to put a label on you. Oh, well, you're lucky. No, I've had opportunities. I've just, I've said yes, and I've been afraid and I've done it anyway. Or I've made a wrong decision and I've changed my mind and not been embarrassed about it and not felt stupid about it. We all want to try and, you know, I had this misunderstanding that if you didn't get something you wanted, you had failed. Mm-hmm. No, it just didn't happen is really what the thing is. And maybe it wasn't right anyway. There it is. And something is saving me from myself because left to my own devices, I tend to pick the wrong thing. Do, do you feel that way about yourself? I feel that way about relationships mostly. Mm. But and yeah, I do. And I, I think it comes with age. I mean, I mean, I remember Granny saying, you know, please come into your own before I did at 70. She <laughs> lived to be 98, by the way. But, you know, she said at 70, I finally don't give a shit what other people think. Please, please have it come to you sooner, men. Oh please. God. Oh, please. Oh, please. It's my wish. Every you know? birthday, I think. I am every single birthday. I am however many years old. I don't know why. I'm 41 now. But I think I remember it like in my beginning, mid to late 30s. Like, I am too old to be this insecure. I am too old to care what people think. I am too old to consider what those people are going to think about any life decision I make. But like every year I have that realization. And then I just kind of turn back into myself. Yeah. And that's, I think that's human nature. And I think it's a disposition. And I'm always going to care what other people think, whether I was quote unquote famous or not. It's who I am. Mm -hmm. And I just realize when I'm doing it and I'm acting out in a way that is not in my own best interest uh, or that, um, you know, I also had a misunderstanding of someone to be my friend. I, I should say thank you and be their friend. Like I had no choice in the matter. Yeah. Uh, That was a big one for me. Like, oh, I actually like don't have to like everyone who likes me. This Did, is huge. What made you feel like you had to say thank you and be their friend? Was it a feeling of – because I know 
people who who have that where it's like they just feel so grateful that someone wants to be their friend. Um, or I know that with me, I just it could just be. Sorry, look, look, I'm I'm coming undone. You are in undone. your presence. You aren't. I am. Um, or it could just be a just a general niceness. What do you yes. think it is for you? I I think that I have always had a a terminal uh, uh, issue about wanting to belong, and that even if my life was extraordinary, it needed to be extraordinary. Mm. I mean, in other words, there was this thing to prove. Um, I didn't come out with a sense of self. Now, you talk to my parents and you experience my childhood and you wonder, Mindy, really? Like how how much more like I was told how adorable I was, how beautiful I was, how smart I was, and all those things. And then I go to school. And I remember elementary, I remember four years old going, I was, you know, mom wanted to get to work, so in I go. <laughs> four years old and and thinking to myself, I'm so glad the teacher's here because I can be friends with her. Not looking at, you know, kids my age scared me. Mm-hmm. It scared me. And so I, I, I think I've always kind of, I kept that for a very long time. And then also, you know, coming into Westlake School for Girls, you know, we were not of means, even though we were doing quite well. It mm-hmm. was always a little, you know, feeling a little less than. And then getting to show the way I did. Someone would see it as, oh, my God, you hit it. And I saw it as God. I didn't do Mrs. Butterworth's commercial. I didn't have. I wasn't on the Mickey Mouse Club. Mm-hmm. They're gonna figure it out. I'm a fraud. Oh, that's so interesting. So, it, in other words, you are who you are, no matter where you take yourself. So, mm-hmm. it, under the most amazing circumstances, until I and it happened in my, I'd say, mid to late twenties, um, where you just realized, like, just say thank you. Mm-hmm. Just say thank you and and move on. Um, so you felt like an imposter though, when you started, cause I wondered what that's like, because all of a sudden you're thrust into this professional setting with professional, you know, child actors who've been doing it forever. And here you are, and you're, you're a student. This is where Norman Lear and Alan Horn, and I'll say Kim Fields really stepped up and, and held me, uh, because I learned so quickly in the nicest way that this is what I do and not who I am. Mm -hmm. And I went home to a family that reinforced that. And so it was a job very clearly. And so not to think that there's no sense of entitlement and there's no sense of this. And Kim, I have to say, three years my junior, took me by the hand and explained what upstage and downstage and (laughs) here's what you do. And I mean, she literally was my little guardian angel. And when I say that line in the first season where I say – where Natalie says to Tootie, we're soul sisters, that came from the writer hearing us in rehearsal. And I had just come in from school and I dropped my book bag and I had my Westlake uniform on and everybody else is in normal clothes, right? And Kim ran up to me and she says, hi, so much happened this morning. I missed you and you hugged me. And I'm like, oh, my soul sister. <laughs> you know, I'm 13 and she's right. 11. <laughs> That's so cute. You know what I'm saying? She just took such good care of me. Mm-hmm. In terms of learning how to act, had you taken acting classes before? No. no. Yeah. It, no. And, and I, that's, again, Norman Lear. He said, Mindy, don't lead with funny. What does that mean? Well, it means that when you're saying something funny, don't smile. Because <laughs> I cracked myself up. I thought the lines were hilarious. <laughs> um, 
And so uh, I don't think the timing was taught. I think I was just innately born with it. Mm -hmm. But I think that sense of you work with kind of great people, you get great no matter what you do. Um, So I I worked with really great people. Mm -hmm. And it's the truth. That whole Norman Lear sitcom family, we all worked together. It was the Jeffersons and One Day at a Time and Different Strokes. Um, it, it just it just went on and on. And then, you know, Barishnikov and Liza Minnelli doing their special. And, you know, we had such access all the time to the most incredible people because at that time, Norman Lear sitcoms were the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for the longest time, the show was the longest running yeah. series on NBC. Were you each, – each successive year – were you surprised it was continuing or like did was there any, really we were so mediocre in the ratings the whole time except for one season where we make the made the top 10 mm-hmm. um and that was really because of the cosby show and everybody just kind of stuck their tvs to four <laughs> you know to nbc and didn't move it and that's really w- what i say um you know the fact of the matter is that brandon tartikoff loved our show and loved us and we loved him right back and um, that it did well enough, um, and it just it kept going. Uh, we all just couldn't believe it. Were you um, – at any point, were you sort of itching to see what comes next? And by that, I mean, were you like, I'm ready for this to be done? Or did you want it to go as long as possible? When it was done was the year we were all ready for it to be done. We could have done the year before, mm-hmm. truth be told. Um yeah, but but uh, it felt organically ready. I think that's why also there, there's not this sad story at the end. It was this yippee ki send-off, you know, and I, you know, we felt done. We didn't feel sad or, boy, we got cheated or, oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Right. At all. It was a very fulfilling experience the whole time. Again, I think that's why there is no sense of – rumor right right. or negativity so the show ends you're 21 Mm -hmm. you go to college where'd you go yeah a couple different places what'd you study i sociology and cultural anthropology yeah i mean i'm fascinated Mm -hmm. i mean the world's really incredible and the reason is just the people in it i'm fascinated endlessly was your adjustment into civilian life uh difficult not at all, because I'd been in civilian right. life. I mean, that is the gift of my parents. They didn't even know they were giving me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also the fact that I have remained and still remain. I mean, two of my best friends, we, I went to high school together. Um, I've always had, I've just known my friends for the longest time. We call ourselves the gaggle. <laughs> um, you know, my friend Helen Hunt and I met when we were 12. We live up the street from each other. We see each other all the time. I mean, it's like, it's one of those things like, how do you run with who you run with? It's because I'm older than God and we <laughs> all grew up together. And, yeah. and, you know, I learned from my parents and also again from Gran, you know, before family of choice was a gay term, I had always been cultivating a family of choice. Always. My mm. friends were just, I put just as much energy into those friendships and still do to this day. Um, yeah. So it's it's benefited me. Mm. So you got, you're going to college. At what point do you decide or, or was there a point where you decided I'm going to 
maybe I'll do more entertainment jobs? Or was that the plan from the beginning to continue? Well, what really turned it around for me was at 16, James Lapine, who is the most prolific and amazing playwright, was doing a broad, uh, off-Broadway show called Table Settings with Stalker Channing and Robert Klein and Eileen Heckart and Dinah Manoff. And he cast me. And I went and did that. And we had a run at Brooklyn College. And it was filmed. It was the one of the first things filmed for this new fangled cable show, or <laughs> channel called HBO. I don't know. Um, that totally rocked my world in every way. I was in New York for four months um, doing a play, mm -hmm. theater. And I not only fell in love with acting, uh, which I think is the stage is the way to go as far as that's concerned, because it's all the actor. But I went, this is this is it. I, I'm supposed I'm supposed to be a storyteller. Holy balls. <laughs> this is it. I'm supposed to be a storyteller. I'm a storyteller called my by the way, you guys, I'm a storyteller. My dad's like, oh, my God, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, it's I just want you in a corner office with an assistant. What the hell is going on? You know, <laughs> poor guy. But true. There it is. I became a creative right before mm -hmm. my eyes. That's kind of when it happened for me. Did your parents have misgivings at all about this direction your life was taking when you were pretty young? Uh, the misgivings, I think, were um, the same misgivings they had at sending me to Westlake, which which is, oh, my God, you're surrounded by this wealth and privilege and people who live in a parallel universe. And we want to make sure, you know, you're you. Right. Um, and I think I think the business called show that my dad called monkey business. <laughs> right. When I equated it that I was OK to be the product and that I was very well aware of that. And that rejection just meant I'm not their flavor, that it's not a rejection of me. They don't know me to not want me. They just don't want what I have. Yes, you mentioned that Cloris Leachman said that you had the mental disposition to <laughs> deal with the rejection. Where did, that's amazing to me because I'm someone who like someone looks the other way. and I'm like, what? Why don't you like me? You know, I need everyone to like me. Um, where did that come from? I mean, how this stuff that you're talking about, these realizations how, worked really hard. How? I worked really hard. Well, I, I, am, I am the person who is friends and family of alcoholics and drug addicts. Mm. Uh, they love me and I love them right back. And so I've always been surrounded by narcissists and users. And what that does is you see how much pain someone's in and you see how much they're willing to go to any lengths to not feel the way they feel. That it only kind of reinforced in myself God, I'm lucky because I could so have that allergy to alcohol. I just don't. Mm. But my mind could go there. I am totally a chronic discontent. I suffer from the disease of more. I get it. I just don't, I just don't have that disposition to be an addict. Right. But wow, I relate to that. And I think that's, again, why either very beautiful people or very famous people or very successful people have always gravitated me towards me and me to them because there's got to be more than this. So I remember a very dear girlfriend of mine who's no longer in my life. You'll hear why. <laughs> I was walking around with my boyfriend and she said, you know, I don't know what it is. Like, do you have a trick pussy? Because not that you're not amazing, but he's phenomenal. And I just need to know, is that too mean? And I said, I know it's mean what you're saying, but I know what you're saying. Mm. It's that everyone knows he's pretty. I know he's pretty. I tell him he's pretty. And then I say, and now what? And to be seen as something other than what you look like, I think he appreciates it. And I have a trick pussy. <laughs> so, 
you know, I think those experiences helped kind of shape that, that I can't take it personally, even though it feels personal. Mm. If I think about it for a second and get the owl, per- owl perspective, oh my God, I realize, okay, it's so not about me. So the job I don't get, it's not that I'm not talented. I'm not the flavor, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that's it. Let me see if I understand, understand this. Are you saying that because you had these repeated experiences around addicts, alcoholics, narcissists, mm-hmm. you were aware that someone's behavior could be not about you, even if it's directed at you. And then you took yes. that into, that's, that's so interesting. People do not drink. Profound. Yeah. They weren't drinking at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they weren't using at me. They weren't lying to me because they wanted to lie to me. They weren't. Okay. So you learn and not quickly. Okay. But you learn that. And that has influenced my whole life. It's influenced my philanthropy and why I'm able to go into horrible places and, and not try and fix it mm-hmm. because I can't, but I can shed a light on it. Or, you know, why to me, what, you know, Heifer International is so important because it puts power into the hands of women and children in their villages. And so they don't have to be controlled by so many of us are controlled by something, mm-hmm. even if it's of our own doing, right? A, a substance or whatever. Um, yeah, it's fruitless. Do you have um, Do you have an addictive personality? Well, you yes. mentioned you do. Okay, I think we all do. By the way, is Los Angeles not the most alcoholic city? It's, yeah, it's literally a city. It's not filled with alcoholics. It is an alcoholic city. This city, no matter how well you do. Mm, could do better. No matter how much you have, I need more. Yeah. I mean, really, it's insatiable. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to grow up here and experience people who have so much and are so desperately unhappy, I used to get enraged by it as a kid, and I didn't know where that came from. But I'm a, I'm a lawyer's daughter, you know, and mom used to talk about that stuff. And honestly, what I felt was the outrage of the injustice. Mm-hmm. Of it, I sound like Bernie, but like it, <laughs> it, it is kind of true, you know. I'm a little bit of a red, you know, because of that, and I think it translates into having a career that, as a storyteller and a creative, you know, I can't, I can't be as amazing as I think I am as a storyteller if I don't have stories to tell. And the only way to do that is to go and be with people. Mm-hmm. And I don't quite understand how these people in a balloon uh, are, are are supposed to somehow then be able to like truthfully tell a story. You know, you hear about some of these actresses that just combust or, you know, implode on themselves or, oh, but they're so talented. Really? Because <laughs> I sure don't want to, you know, the honesty isn't there. Right. You know. Right. The authenticity. Yeah. Is missing. Yeah. Um, did you ever struggle with substances? No. No. I mean, I, I, you know, I eat. I also have, you know, I have my granny's body, you know, Um Am I an emotional eater? Yeah. Am I an am I addicted to food? No, I'm just a foodie. Um, my weight's been an issue for me in in different ways, but I I don't feel an addictive personality towards it. No, mm-hmm. I would say that my addiction is people and people pleasing. I I, I would always say uh, one of the people that's very special to me says, you know, 
if someone has a line of Coke or a bottle of beer and they're clutching to it, I'm clutching to the person. <laughs> and so they go into the deep end and I go with them because I won't let go. Mm-hmm. That's my, if you want to call it an addiction. Right. I, I think that can totally be an addiction. Oh, yeah. I mean, people can affect you just in the same way that drugs can. Is that your particular thing that you find yourself drawn to repeatedly, addicts? It has been. I mean, not anymore so much. But yeah, I mean, I I really, there's something that my ego so wants to be that one person that that narcissist thinks about. That, you know, I want to be, you know, that's the, where my huge ego comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, oh, to be needed. I mean, literally, I remember telling my mom in hysterical tears, I'd rather be told, Mindy, I need you than Mindy, I love you. How old were you? How sad is that? I think I was 19. Wow. Yeah. And I remember literally it wet my panties to be told, I need you. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, I felt so, you know, Important. big. Right. And when you try and start practicing not living through that, yeah, you can really, what, what good am I if I can't pay for you or make things happen for you? Or, you know, I think a, a lot of women my age, I've noticed that with my gaggle. We all kind of have a little of that. Mm. Yeah, I remember because I I also did that for a long time. And I remember thinking that, and this is not the most kindest way to describe men, but like if men were dogs, let's say there's this super nice, tame, uh, socialized with human beings dog, or there's this crazy stray that won't let anyone touch it. Like I want to be the one who the stray will walk up to. And I'm like, look how magical I am that I, you know, tamed this wild beast or whatever. I don't know why I had that in me. It's like I needed that extra level of validation that I'm the one person who this person will confide in. Well, I have to tell you, my my stuff started with girls. Uh, by the time, you know, uh, guys came around, it was secondary. But I, I mean, my first close friends were girls that were addicts Mm -hmm. and you know i traveled with a famous rock star who was just it was an i mean that behavior developed actually with women for me first right then men Uh, you know so so really i never saw men as the obstacle or the you know i'm also that chick though i am one of those girls that you know i don't feel whole unless i'm part of a pair i've never felt that and i I love men bordering on crazy. I am mm. totally boy crazy. I will be boy crazy. I will be a dirty old lady is the point. <laughs> like I, I, I love men. I love guys. I love dudes. I love um, being with them, hanging around them, fucking them. Like everything about them I love. Mm-hmm. That's never changed. Uh, but um, so I, I also have a father though who's tremendously healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and healthy around women and has an amazing relationship. So I also never kind of looked outside of my family unit for that guy to right. fix me because right. I had kind of a very amazing working model of my mom and my dad, mm-hmm. you know, who lived a very honest but loving, amazing relationship. Um, so it set the bar really high. Do um... So if you're out there, husband of mine, I'm 50 <laughs> and I'm ready. Thanks. <laughs> Do you feel like you are able to have healthier relationships now? I mean, it sounds like the stuff you're talking about was some years ago. Yeah. I've always had healthy relationships, and I think it's because I've had my mom and dad, and I've always had my gaggle, and we've always kind of reined each other in. Mm-hmm. 
So I I really haven't gone hog ass well. The only thing I definitely um I'm a sucker for a user. I always think I'm helping until literally, you know, it hits me in the face. Wow, God. And my dad and that's said with women something. And men. Yes. My dad said something so tremendous that was life changing, also in my early twenties, where he said, Men, you have the disposition where you can turn the most earnest guy into a user. Oh, that's so interesting. That you give and give and give and give so much that when someone really wasn't that kind of guy that expected, you turn him into one. Mm. And it's you. It's your fault. Like, that's really when I started to kind of saying, you know, it's not them. Right. It's me. So I have wondered that. If if you find yourself in the same pattern repeatedly, are you drawing a certain kind of person to you or are you creating the pattern? You are creating my – listen, because I know everything. Hi, Busybody <laughs> Inc. So nice to meet you, Allison. Um, so Busybody Inc. says today, ding, uh, I do think you create it. And I think at the same time, I think it's you have a beacon. And right. so those people that are in need of that come. Uh, I, I got very sick in my life and, you know, I have always been the rock. Okay. When the rock crumbles, guess what? They just go find another rock and Mm. it has nothing to do with you. They need a rock. You're not it. You've stopped being what they need. Right. And so if there's nothing else but that, yeah, you're very easily replaceable. So that was the dull thud. Well, that's the dull thud of like, wow, it's not personal. It's really what I am attracting. This giving, 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 does, does that come from a feeling of unworthiness? I think I just modeled my parents is really the truth. We've, you know, again, we talk about this all the time. My friends and I, we're talkers and we're analytical and we like to just break shit down. Um, and we're just fascinated with each other because uh, we're egomaniacal. But um, <laughs> I, I just do think it's um, – I – my dad did that for extended members of my family. And I so not only liked them and loved them, but I, I liked how they rolled through the world. I like how they moved through the world and I wanted to move with them. And so I would do that for my friends. And I did it from elementary school. Everyone mm. says, well, you had access to money and you were this child star and you were famous. Oh my God, this behavior, elementary school people, <laughs> like you are who you are, seriously. Right. Yeah, it has nothing to do with fame or access to money or I just think that amplifies things truly do you consider yourself codependent no 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 but drawn to addicts and no not anymore um and I'm not drawn to them I just get on with them mm-hmm. and I understand them and so I can be around them and especially in what I do for a living there's a lot of them yeah so it's been really helpful for me that intersection of vibrant, artistic, smart, funny, and addict. That's a, a, there's a big swath. Yeah, but I call bullshit on that a lot. I really do because to me, some of the most amazing artists don't have a problem of addiction at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby De Niro and Meryl Streep and, you know, I, I just look at my mentors, you know, just did not have issues like that. And I think that's been a little bit of a scapegoat. Yeah. I mean, some of the most breathtaking writers – do not have an addictive personality. Right. And there are people who don't want to get clean who are like, well, I'm worried about what it'll do to my art. And then the argument is, imagine how much better you might be, you know, if without the substance. Yeah. It might actually be holding you back. 
And listen, this isn't for everyone. A lot of people are not born with the desire or the need or uh, the disposition to self-reflect. They don't want to do it. I don't have a judgment about it, but like, you know, a, a very dear friend of mine said this too. This was amazing. She says, Mindy, we are all water. You happen to be deep. For some reason, you want to do a swan dive into the shallow end all the time, <laughs> you know? And the idea is we're all water, so we're all the same. Right. But some of us are deep and some of us are shallow. No judgment, but like go to your level. Yeah. And that, you know, I think that's for all of us for everything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to apologize for that. So you mentioned before before we started that you are compulsive, uh, yes, because I was ta- I was talking about producer Jeff being super organized because he told love Jeff because <laughs> he told you that your headphones are green because everything is color coded on this table. It's Jeff's system. Measure twice, cut once. <laughs> That's my method. Jeff That's goes hot. nuts for Velcro That's ties. Hot. That is foreplay, Jeff. Right there. That's foreplay. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, so, in what ways does your compulsion come out? Highly organized, and I call what's doing laps when I get home. By the way, I never inflict my compulsions on someone else's abode or when I go. I'm not that person okay, where good, I go and clean. It's really messy here. It, no, it isn't, and I don't even look at it like that. Okay. I'm not. A, I'm not a judgy person that way. But for me, I get home and I have to do a a once around, and I'm a vacuumer, and things have to be in their place and tidy, and I organize my cabinet and my fridge, and I like labels out, and yeah. I need that. And what's interesting is when I was in in the master's program that I did, they were saying that, um, did you count as a kid? I did. I used to count as a kid, you know, eight thing, eight seconds to tie my shoe. And then I would take eight seconds. What I learned was that counting or that kind of compulsion is an anxiety reducer. Mm. Most kids have. And that it manifests into adulthood in a variety of ways. So all that says to me is I'm not a control freak. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with me. There's this sense of anti-anxiety mm-hmm. that I gift myself by doing what I do. And gratefully, the people in my life, and especially the guy in my life, you know, they get it. They get it and uh, they, they leave me room to do it. So there is a guy in your life? Right now, yes. How'd you meet? Uh, work-related. We, you are lighting up talking about it. So, yeah. I mean, I, but I can also tell you don't want to talk about it much. So I won't make you talk about it unless. Oh, you- I just don't talk about my personal life ever because it's really not only is it nobody's business, it's just not the most fascinating aspect. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to how clean your apartment is or your house. Sorry, you probably <laughs> you live in a house. Um, what is your system in terms of clutter and in terms of like getting rid of stuff you don't need? Because I'm, I'm not a hoarder, but. That's the end of the spectrum I'm on. Like I don't, I don't throw stuff out, even though I should. And I have piles of stuff, and yeah, that's my thing. It just feels so good to be rid of things. Um, I was a collector mm-hmm. of yes. everything, and you know, it took a move, and it took a downsizing. You know, I just made a decision about five years ago to downsize, and it, 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 it was not just for financial it was but it was also kind of a test to be honest what do i think i need and what am i going to miss and what am i going to pine for and what what don't i really and i realized i didn't realize how uncomfortable i was with all of my stuff Mm. that i'm actually not that girl that i really like not a lot of stuff right and um i just feel um 
I have keepsakes and precious things, but no, I, I, I'm not, no, they, those aren't my security blankets. And I think for a lot of people, those are my, like, I want this just so that I, I have it. Just so I don't have to go through that experience of, oh, I wish I had it, but I don't anymore. Yeah. Like the whole thing, the whole thing with keeping piles of junk is I might want that something someday. And yet it, I am super uncomfortable with the level of crud. <laughs> so here's, of here's where the spoiled princess comes into. If I need it again, I'll buy it. Yeah. And I really, I do have to say that that's where like, well, you were raised a little different than I, I mean, I just, I had to come to that understanding. If I'm really missing something, I'll get another one. Mm-hmm. What about stuff that might have sentimental value? That I keep. I am the keeper in my family of those things. Mm-hmm. My, my place is very eclectic. You know, I have everything from everybody, one something from everyone. Yeah. Oh, you, um, the scheduling of this podcast had to be around the fact that you are starting a new job. Is that something you can talk about? Sure. Tell us. It's, um, well, I did this little uh, part in a little movie uh, with this amazing director, Tosca Musk, and uh, her partner, Gina. And while I was on set, uh, Gina walked over and said, Tosca and I were talking last night, and there's a part in here for you. Serendipity, you guys. Uh, Really? Well, just read it. It is a fantastic feature um, called Pornology, (laughs) and it is a fictionalized version of a nonfiction book, and it's about this girl who is very sexually repressed and through a breakup uh, realizes that she hasn't done a heck of a lot, and she kind of creates this bucket list with her compadres, of which I am one. She is part of a quartet that plays at weddings and country clubs and Mm -hmm. such. So I'm learning how to play the violin, which is very exciting. Oh, my God. It's the best part of my job. (laughs) And um, basically, we get to kind of go on this journey together. And my character, Priscilla, has been married for 25 years and kind of lost that love and feeling, if you get my drift. Mm -hmm. And so she gets reignited um, in that department as well. And it is... Such a great, funny rom-com. And there is one scene specifically that I'm calling my bridesmaids moment. (laughs) And there is a scene where uh, my character Priscilla and the lead character Lucy, and all I'll say is it involves Benoit Balls. And it is (laughs) the most hysterical. And I said to Tosca, if this, if you can shoot this scene half as funny as it reads, my work is done. Like, I'm so excited. So I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to starting that. Yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah, it is. I'm gonna have to go see that on opening day or night. Oh my god, please, Allison. Okay, so Jeff has put together a oh, little facts it. of life quiz. Okay. Oh god, you're gonna be better at it than I am. I'm just telling you that that's right now. That's the hope. You will be. It's uh, it's it's a little easy and it's a little hard. I tried to mix it up. I wasn't sure how much either one of you would remember, but I, hopefully we'll. Land somewhere in the middle so that somebody doesn't crush somebody else. Now, do we, how are we doing this? Do we need paper and pen or? Yes. Why don't we do, we'll do paper and pen and that okay. way you can both write down your answers and then okay. when you're done thinking, I'll ask each one. By of the way, I'm a really good loser. Oh, good. I'm great I at I just winning. did this um, <laughs> Food Network show. It was my first um, foray into um, reality television, mm-hmm. of which I will not be doing ever again because I had PTSD after. Um. What was the show? Uh, it's Worst Cooks in America. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I saw an ad for that. Shit. <laughs> what? Tell us. What was it like? I have nothing good to say. About the experience? Yeah. Oh, for wow. real. Like, wow. And 
you guys have sat with me now for now. Like, am I that person? No. I not only have, don't have a good thing to say about it, it has nothing to do with Food Network, by the way, who are, they are stellar. But, wow. Is this a statement wow. about reality shows? The experience no, of doing a reality show? It's a statement show? about one of the hosts who's very famous Got and to a Google. great, great network star that they will protect in editing, I'm sure. Um, and I'm sure in six months, I'll have such nice things to say about her. But right now, I don't. What's going to happen in six months? I'll probably get over it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm still kind this of, is so I'm juicy. Kind of in it. Anyway, my point is, I really knew about myself because I'm very competitive. I'm apparently a very good loser. <laughs> so wait, but you wrote a thing in Huffington Post about how you won't do reality shows. Exactly. You've been approached a bunch, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, well, you're a big get. Well, I also thought, listen, Food Network, who doesn't love Food Network, right. including myself? Um, if I give away the reason why I did it, I'll, you'll know the other person, so I don't want to do that. And that sounds really weird over radio, so sorry, guys. But um, uh, And it was, you know, time in New York, hi, of course, mm-hmm. and see my gaggle there. Um, and I just thought, this is a great way to be on television. I'm really trying to, like turn the heat up in the career again and start working again. This be great exposure and people who watch Food Network actually watch television. So this might bode well for me. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. Should have read your article. Yeah. Ahead of time. Should have listened to Mindy. <laughs> Dang it. Okay, here we go. All right. Are we ready for the quiz? Mm-hmm. Yes. Question number one. Oh, good. Sound effects. What actual town is the fictional Eastland School located in? Wait, do you mean... What is the city in which... The exterior is? No, the, the school... Oh, oh, sorry. Is Wait, in, in real life or on the show? On the show. Oh, okay, because like, not where we filmed the opening right. sequence. Right, where, okay. where it exists in the... I went to that college, by the way. Where, I lived in Eastland, and I didn't even know that. I went to Pomona College, which is where the exterior of Eastland is yes. shot. I lived in Harwood Dorm, and I didn't even know until after I'd already enrolled that that's where it was shot. It was that's like, serendipity. That's crazy. <laughs> okay, I think. Look, I'm right. <laughs> such a nerd. No, I just wrote down my I answer. I'm wrong. Am I wrong? Mindy we says just, Peak Skill. That's New what York, I wrote. I wrote and Peak Skill as well. And Allison says Peak Skill New York, which is correct. Oh, phew. Okay, at least the first one. Now we can. Now I can lose. Yeah. Okay. And Allison, if you could. Oh yeah, keep scores. score. Okay. I got a lot. Of, um, I got a lot of plays spinning over here. <laughs> How many questions are we looking at? There's only sixteen. Okay, I'm gonna kick your ass. I went a little uh, ape on it. Okay. All right. Uh, question number two. <laughs> Mrs. Garrett was from Appleton, Wisconsin. Blair and Natalie were from Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Joe was from the Bronx. What city was Tootie from? City? Oh, boy. I think. I think I'm wrong. I think, I think I'm fantastically wrong here. Me too. Okay. Mindy? I said Baltimore. I Allison? said Atlanta. The answer is... Washington, D.C. Oh, dang oh. it. 
we still have a tie score. Her okay. real mom played her mom on the show. That's right. I'm a cheater. I just gave myself a point. I don't deserve that point. It was almost, almost a Baltimore point. is close to Washington, D.C., though. I'll just give Mindy that. It's yeah, true. Should we uh, give her no, a point? Uh, no. If we're, if, if we're judging on a sliding geographical scale. Um, <laughs> Mindy's closer. No, we're both really wrong. Yeah. Okay. okay. Question number three. In real life, Lisa Welchel is a Christian. What is the stated religious belief of her character, Blair? Mindy? Catholic. Catholic. That's what I wrote, too. I'm afraid the answer is... She stated that she is an atheist because of her parents' divorce. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. Question number four. Which well-known classic TV actor appeared as Blair's adoptive half-sister Meg in, in season four? Okay. Okay. Mindy? Eve Plum. Eve Plum. Eve Plum is correct. Yay. All right, we each have two points. I think Blair stated that she was an atheist because of her parents' divorce in the episode where Joe was going to become a nun. You could be right. I have no recollection of that. But that's astonishing. Did you actually watch the show? Uh, uh, We all would have group watchings, I think, the first, like, six seasons, and then we stopped. Mm -hmm. That was just life, though. Yeah. All right. Question number five. Which actor, famous for the role of Mo Green in The Godfather, played Joe Polnicek's father on mm. the show? Oh, that's sad. Rest in peace. Okay. And Mindy? Alex Rocco. Alex Rocco. Alex oh. Rocco is correct. I actually started writing Alex Green, and then I crossed <laughs> it out. Okay, question number six. Just ten more. Just ten, <laughs> just ten more, and two of them are two parts. Of Natalie, Joe, Tootie, and Blair... Which was the only her- character to not make a crossover appearance on Different Strokes? Oh. Mindy seems confident in her answer. I do. What is your answer, Mindy? I said Joe. I said Joe as well, since she was second season. The answer is Joe. Correct. All right. All right. It's a good quiz, by the way. I love that we know the same thing. I know. I know. Isn't that kind of cheeky? It's wonderful. Perfect. All right. Question number seven. In an early episode, Natalie is dating a boy who is spreading a rumor about her. What is that rumor? Mindy? I said that she's easy like Sunday morning. (laughs) And I said that she has a trick pussy. (laughs) Both answers are correct. (laughs) Oh, the lives paralleling actress and role. (laughs) All right. Question number eight. Three cast members of The Facts of Life received Academy Awards for acting. Name at least two. Full-on awards, right? Received, not just nominated, not, but won right. awards for acting. Cast Academy members. Academy Awards. Right, right. People, now, cast members as people, opposed to just people that had been on the show. No, people, meaning people, people that had acted on the show. Okay. On the show, because, yeah. I know one, but. Yes, I know that one, too. And I'm thinking it's, um, I don't, don't think she won an Academy Award, though. 
got my answer, but I think I did too, but I, I'm really, it's not right. Okay, Mindy? So Cloris Leachman, of course. Mm-hmm. For and the picture then, show? Yes. And I put, Ann, show. I put Ann Jackson, Eli Wallach's wife, but I, don't th- I think she was just nominated. Dang it. I'm wrong. Who Al- was it? Allison? I feel I'm wrong. I put Helen Hunt and George Clooney. The answer is the three characters or the three actors were Cloris Leachman, Helen Hunt, your friend, mm-hmm. and George Clooney. <gasps> yeah. So Allison pulls That's out. That's just shockingly <laughs> poor. One. And you're down one friend because now Helen will hear this and be oh, mad no. that you didn't know. I think she'll be so happy. I, <laughs> I'm finally moving on I like the idea from my that, childhood. That Helen Hunt listens to my podcast. <laughs> Probably my biggest fan. All right. Question number nine. In the episode, The Green-Eyed Monster, Natalie and Tootie sing which famous Rogers and Hammerstein song? This is so upsetting to me. Oh, my God. I even know it because Natalie throws coconuts on the stage. That's right. What is the song? It's- so oh, a- oh, oh, I just remembered. It's from, this, it's from South Pacific. Yep. No, I... I- yep, I got it. When it that's a I know what episode. Tootie sings. She washes the man right out of her hair, but that's not the duet. That I can't remember. Oh, there's a duet. Some Enchanted Evening. Yes! I, uh, there it is. Well, according, to, you know, according to the internet, it was wash that man right out of my hair. No, oh. I'll tell you what. Ooh. That's not correct. When Tootie's rehearsing, this is scary, I'm remembering. When Tootie's rehearsing, she's rehearsing that. And then she gets the show. Mm-hmm. Hence the green-eyed monster that Natalie becomes. Yes. Oh. And then sabotage. So you're both correct. Okay. All right. Question number 10. Who sang the show's theme song during the opening credits for season one? Oh. Oh. It's a duet there. Only for season one. Right. Wait, it's a duet? Because I wrote down my answer. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm getting this one wrong, I think. All right, Mindy? Well, I put Gloria Loring, but Charlotte sang a verse of it. I don't know if she sang the whole thing, though. Did she sing the whole thing? According to the internet, Charlotte Ray sang the entire song for, the entire the, for song. season one. Oh, right. No, I knew she was on it season one, but I... And then l- later versions... With Gloria. With Gloria. Yeah. yeah. Ones were overdubbed. Allison, what was your answer? I don't think I got. I wrote Charlotte Ray, but I also wrote down Alan Thick. He wrote it. He wrote, he wrote it. it with Gloria. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think I should get the point because I wrote down both of them. Well, I feel like mm, you wrote it though. You wrote it. I would give it to you. All right, but you get it too. Okay. Right? Okay, we both get a point. Everybody's friends. We're besties. All right. <laughs> Question number eleven. I have a sticker that says so. This is a two-part question. The Facts of Life was the first primetime show to feature a main character with a disability. Mm-hmm. The character was played by Jerry Jewell and was related to one of the main cast members. Who was she related to and what was her disability? I see some highly confident writing from both camps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's come on. I mean, really? <laughs> Mindy? I said Blair and Cerebral Palsy. Correct. Me too. Correct. Specifically, she was her cousin. That's right. All right. Question number 12. There were several headmasters of Eastland over the course of the show. Who was the last headmaster of Eastland as depicted in the final 
episode. Mm. Oh my god, I'm having a big brain fart. Ooh, broke the pen. Oh, we have more pens. No, I'm good. Okay. Okay, Mindy? Uh, Roger Perry, who played Mr. Parker. Allison. I wrote down Parker. The last headmaster on the show, again, according to the internet, was Blair, because she bought oh, the school. Oh, this is a kind of a trick question. That was on the spinoff, though. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I will, I, will de- I will defer no, to you. Don't defer to me. I think, you're, I think the I internet right. is right. Yeah. Well, either you're both right or you're both wrong, so it's a tie, so... But I'll, okay. I'll defer to Mindy since you I don't well, know, acted on the I, show for 10 Schmidt, years. I love Eric Schmidt, who's yeah. the head of Google. So if you Googled it, I'm, I'm in Eric's camp. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. It was, it was a bit of a trick question. but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seth Green was on that last episode, as was. Yes, I he think. was. Juliet Lewis. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Mayim Bialik. Yeah. Question number 13. For those of you still awake, what was, the name, what was the name of the recurring character played by Jamie Gertz? What was her oh! character's name? Allison's wildly confident of this answer. I think I'm that Mindy's, Mindy's, really? Mindy's cautiously optimistic, we'll call it. Mm-mm. Okay. I said like Bitsy or Muffy or some shit like that. <laughs> Boots. Bootsy. Boots St. Clair. Boots St. Clair. <laughs> Allison pulls ahead. Allison pulls oh, ahead. Oh, yeah. Good. All right. Question 14. Another two-part question. In a controversial episode, the character Natalie has sexual congress in flagrante delicto with her boyfriend on the occasion of a certain date. What was that occasion, and what was her boyfriend's name? Mindy's not breaking a sweat over this question. I I have B, but A, I'm not sure. All right. Mindy? I have a guess. So... Robert Romanus, who also deflowered Jennifer, Jason Lee, deflowered Natalie, playing Snake. Correct. And I think it was their one-year anniversary. I just wrote down July 4th. <laughs> <laughs> it was Natalie's Independence Day, yes, okay? Yes, that's what I was thinking. It Independent was, for her, of her hymen. <laughs> well, if they started dating on July 4th, then you would be correct. But it was Snake <laughs> and their one-year oh, anniversary. congrats. Yes. I think, wait, Point goes to now. Mindy. One, two, three. And thank Alexa Young, who wrote that episode. She's still just a rock star. Allison's telling up the score. I have one more point than Mindy. Ooh. Oh, yeah. All right, we're getting down to the but wire here. It's pretty close. No, I'm, I'm impressed with myself. <laughs> You're doing very well. All right, question number 15. The Facts of Life did two TV movies, The Facts of Life Go to Paris and The Facts of Life Down Under. Which one aired first? Oh, please. I mean, really. Ding. My husband and I went to Paris in April, Aww. and I made him watch some scenes from Facts of Life. Oh, Life God bless Paris. him. Mm-hmm. Especially with me? you and Tootie and Kylie. Like, <laughs> no, no, I think he was entertained. Oh, God. Okay. I, understand, I understand there's a channel on cable in France that just plays it. <laughs> oh, hours my God. <laughs> oh, I wish. All right, Mindy? Paris. Paris. Paris is correct. Also, my favorite holiday bit of anything is you and Nancy performing um, We Need a Little Christmas from the episode Christmas in the Big House, and I have made my husband watch that. 
We, Numerous times. We loved that. That was Nancy that's like my and favorite. I, Nancy and I loved doing that. Really? I do have to say, that's yes. That's amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shut it. <laughs> All right. The last question. <laughs> Natalie, like Allison, decides to move to New York City to pursue a career in journalism. Mm-hmm. She meets two potential roommates that are sharing a loft. Which actors play those two roommates? So obviously just the boys because there was a girl too. Yes, just the boys. Okay. Mindy's so confident that she's not even writing. She just knows this. This is off the top of her head. Well, it was his first job, Mm -hmm. David Spade Mm -hmm. and um, Richard Grieco. I wrote those down as well. Correct. All right. Final tally. You won, and deservedly so. I have 12 points, and Mindy has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's still a little Norma Desmond of me, but... (laughs) Super close. Let's take some questions that listeners sent in on Twitter, but first I want to remind you guys, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, because they have everything, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Thank you guys so much for your Amazon support. Also, I am on Patreon, finally. Uh, You can go check out my page over there patreon.com slash Allison Rosen and if you like what you're hearing subscribe itunes.com slash Allison Rosen okay I didn't know that about Amazon I'm mm-hmm. gonna do that thank you I'm an Amazon uh, shopper go to AllisonRosen.com and then click on the Amazon banner on the right side okay. and then it throws a few cents over here and it doesn't uh, cost anything extra done thank you of course we're besties I will stick to prove it <laughs> When we ask, they send them in, they're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay, James Henderson says, who wins during an episode of Celebrity Deathmatch, which is a show, I don't, I remember the name, I don't remember the premise, although I feel like it's Mm self-explanatory. Velma Dinkley or Natalie Green? I think Velma. Velma, who don't Velma, know, Velma, you voiced Velma for years. Yes, I still do, gratefully, for certain things. I'm doing a commercial tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, but just Velma not the wins. new series. I think Velma kicks Nat's ass, yes. Okay. You and Nat's not a fighter. And you know, you no. hear a lot about the Marianne versus Ginger. Like, who's, who, is, who do you like better? I think Velma versus, uh, who's the other character in Scooby-Doo? Daphne? Daphne. Like, are you a Velma person or a Daphne person? I think that's more telling about... Right. Oh, interesting. Right? Which one are you? Oh, Velma, for Me too. sure. Yeah. And honestly, if you really just look at them too, I mean, Velma's body is kick ass. Yeah. She's got the, her little skirt and she's all Yeah, sassy and she and, can talk to you afterwards. Yeah. If you want that. Yeah. <laughs> if you want that. <laughs> <laughs> <Ew>. Okay. <laughs> TSDCX says, does she keep in touch with Pamela Adlon or any of the other Facts of Life regulars? I I do. And I'm so excited for Pam's new show on FX. Um, and she's just brilliant. And yes, I keep in touch with everyone, actually. I didn't know she has a new show. She does. It awesome. starts in next week or two weeks. No, 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 no. September. Yeah. Promos are at, just out. I'll have to have her. I've had her on the show. I'll have to have her back. Yes, you will. Talk about it. Okay. Um, and I adore her. She's great. She was Pamela Seagal or Siegel. Yes. At the time. Okay. 
Wachelli says, what was Lisa Welchel's response when you took over Loss of Virginity episode at Next Taping? Was she supportive? Because originally it was going to be Blair who lost her virginity and Lisa didn't want to do it, right? It went through all of them. Oh, I really? mean, I mean, yeah, it wasn't the, how do you the, the, read the question again, that first part? Cause that didn't, that's not really how it happened where okay. uh, Natalie right. took over. Yeah. That's not what happened. I mean, the episode was written and Lisa, because of her belief system, did not want to do it. And so there was not a big uproar. There was no drama, but. <clears throat> Like with our show, we weren't going to not tackle it. Mm-hmm. And so the next down the line was was for Joe to do it. Um, and what happened is, I think even before the discussion got started, I walked into the writer's room and just said, oh my God, please pick me. <laughs> um, I really wanted Natalie to do it. And the reason I did was, uh, as we just did in the trivia, she was in a relationship. She was a legal age. She was uh, in a relationship which at the time of Nancy's character, Joe, Joe was not in one. Right. And I just said, really? Um, and somebody's got to have it happen at this <laughs> point. I mean, not enough of the lesbian jokes, not that there is anything wrong with it, but really you cannot have four girls who most of whom have been in substantial relationships not be having sex right now. So somebody's got to have, it's got to happen. So I was, I was thrilled to do it. And Lisa in, as in life, does not have a problem or judge anyone who does things different. She just knows what she's not going to do for herself. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, has actually changed her mind a little bit, meaning, you know, if you're going to be an actress, and an actress, not a star, not a celebrity, but an actor, you're going to have to reconcile doing things that you may be uncomfortable with. Now, having said that, you know, no harm, no foul. Mm. The show really did, you know, starting early on, tackle a lot of big issues that I feel like don't really get tackled in the same way on television now. Like television now is very knowing, but I mean, I'm just thinking of there was eating disorder stuff early on, Mm -hmm. suicide, Mm -hmm. um, that episode where... Drunk driving, pot, drugs. Affairs. Affairs, divorce. And the thing is, though, I think what people forget is that it was a Norman Lear sitcom because I think All in the Family and Maude and, you know, rightfully so, take their place in iconic television history. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he – that was part of the, the, the recipe of a Norman Lear sitcom was to tackle not just social issues but issues that weren't being talked about on television in a humorous way right. to make them palatable uh, and to start discussion. And that's something Norman still talks about doing and so you know again he deserves all those applause gold dust 27 says favorite three facts of life episodes oh this is a three-part question what dreams do you have that have yet to come true and what inspires you okay (laughs) jesus okay uh we maybe just need drinks for this one so let's (laughs) see uh three favorite episodes i'm gonna say for sure the um, when the girls get in trouble and they have to paint the room and live yes. above the cafeteria, one. Two is an episode called Cruising, which we did on film in a Cadillac where the four of us are in Blair's dad's Cadillac or something like that. And we spend the night cruising. Um, and I have to say it's a toss up with the others because anytime the four of us were together doing something, 
was all of our favorite episodes. I mean, we're kind of all four in agreement of that, that mm-hmm. we have had the most remarkable guest stars. It was so, it was almost like if you were an actor working then or working now, you probably did an episode of Facts of Life. And um, at the same time, when it was just the four of us, it was kind of spectacular. That episode where you guys paint the room, that is one of my favorites. And also the one where you're studying for finals. And, and Natalie's yes. at half wattage. Yes. Her lucky hat. Yeah, that was a goodie. That was um, a goodie. Was that fun filming? That must have been fun filming the painting episode. Although, did you guys just get filthy? It, it really wasn't a fun, quote unquote, fun. And I have to say, I mean, if ever we wanted to get borderline kitty porn, when we shot that episode, which was one of the first ones, and we were all underage except for Lisa, we, the only person who had a dressing room with a shower was Charlotte. And we taped two shows. It was done like a show, mm-hmm. like a Broadway show. I should say off-Broadway. but uh, And again, Norman liked to do it that way, where we'd shoot an afternoon with one audience and one with the other. And so in between, bless you, you can sneeze. Okay. Sing out, Louise. <laughs> and, um, you know, so we had to get the paint off. Right. Was and it real paint? So it was real paint. Okay. And so we all ended up in the shower together, and it was not lost on any of us that this is probably where the rumor started, that we were all gay. <laughs> because... <laughs> Um, yeah. So you want to talk about an Insta bond? I mean, really? <laughs> right. Um, it was one of Nancy's first episodes and it was just sort of like getting to know you. <laughs> I mean, it was, we, we, it was camp. Those first two seasons, especially the four of us were at camp. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun. Um, okay. The other parts of the question, what dreams do you have that have yet to come true and what inspires you? Well, I don't know what's for me. So in answer to that second question, what dreams uh, have not been fulfilled? Because I kind of take it as it comes. Although I really do do look forward to um, finding a partner in a traditional way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he's out there and he's probably really fucking adorable. <laughs> that I kind of know for sure. Does he um, have to be adorable? Well, he's just going to be. Okay. I mean, I don't think he's going to be able to help it is the point. <laughs> um, so that's that's that. As far as anything else, you know, I would just say that um, if the next 50 is anything like the first 50 years of my life, it's all going to be a dream come true, pretty much. And what inspires you? Um, everything and everyone that con- that I come in contact with. Mm. Okay, Kate Ramble says, how was her experience on what not to wear? That's kind of a, well, is and isn't a reality show. Right, right? So I, yeah. Uh, I did it because it was my friend Trish Keller's favorite show. I am still friends with Trish Keller, even though I did that show. (laughs) Here's the issue with these shows. Are you ready for this? Here's what's just come to me Mm -hmm. about the two that I have done. Okay, is I think they're used to the contestants not being celebrities and or actors. And you know what? We know how to make good television. We know how to be pithy. We know how to give you a soundbite. And I think they treat us like imbeciles. Mm. And it's it's insulting as right. hell. And they also think we can't keep a secret or we can't, you know, say a line again with the same inflection or some I, I find I found myself feeling fucked with and getting offended. And mm. I know that was not their intention. I just know it. These are not bad people. These are people making television and entertainment. 
And I think the same thing on what not to wear. I just think they wanted me to be a carpool mom and I'm not. And I put drag on for a living. So to try and tell me like, I don't know what to put clothes on. Like, it's just so weird. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why reality television in that game show or whatever. There is a manipulative aspect to it. There is. And I think you can't mess with an actor like that or a Mm -hmm. performer. Like they kind of, they've been behind the curtain. So, yeah, obviously my lesson was learned. So what did I think of it again? Oh, my God, it always happens this way. It was filmed in New York for a week. (laughs) That's the lucre that I just chase after. I mean, it seems like they try to break. There's that moment where they kind of break you down, break the person down. Did you feel like that happened with you? I do. And I think they can't break you down as a person. So they break you down by, I feel, messing with you. Yeah. And then, so, yeah, I'm just going to say it out loud. Like, I cry on the Food Network. It's, It's horribly humiliating. I, and and it's just because it. I think it looks like I'm shitting the bed, mm-hmm. and what I am is just humiliated. Mm-hmm. Mess with you in terms of like, like they s- mess with you in terms of the production of things. Like they say, like they say they're going to film at this time, and they don't, or they move, just think there's certain rules, around. and then the rules right. aren't followed, and then and then you know they got to protect their stars, and so they got to edit you in a certain way. And I don't think you can come off good. I right. just don't. Period. Mm. Well, I can't wait to watch it. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm, and, and as I said to you before, I'm such an uber fan of Food Network, which is why I said yes. Mm. And, and I'm still am. It had, it did not taint that at all. Yeah. Um, Okay, and lastly, Miss Fancy Pants says, I'd like to hear about her farm life at Beekman Farms. And I would too, because I follow you on Instagram. Um, well, yeah. Uh they're 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 just my two of my gaggle, two of my best friends. They own a farm? Yes. Yeah. And a business and it's yeah, private. Even though it's on all over Instagram. <laughs> I'm so I'm not on the Facebook, but I'm on Instagram and mm-hmm. I do realize so I was on Twitter, which is I think how we found each other. Yes. Yes. And and then my friend Mickey Boardman, who is the editor of Paper Magazine, another gaggle member um said to me you know you treat twitter like instagram um because you you have a pithy little saying with a picture and i'm very i'm very like visual Mm -hmm. and he said and you're kind of too cool for twitter and i'm like what does that mean i think twitter's friggin cool and he goes what i'm saying is instagram is very artistic and you're artistic and so i started on the instagram and i kind of am obsessed with it i i must admit snapchat not so much but i'm trying i just feel old I'm on Snapchat, but I don't, I don't uh, snap as frequently as I feel like I should. Me either. Okay, yeah. so the, who are you on? What's your snap name? Mindy Cohn. Mindy Cohn. I mean, not... I need to be yeah. following you. Okay. You're so sweet. I literally have 50 followers. 50, I mean, one now. You are my new best friend. I what is know, happening? I don't know, but I love it. But I do have to say, Instagram, <laughs> if you want to know me personally, I mean, God, what the hell does that mean and who wants to? But my point is... <laughs> You know, Twitter, uh, Twitter is definitely Twitter. It's a little professional. It's a little personal, but Instagram is definitely as much of my personal life as I will dis- disclose. And yes, the farm is on there because it is one of my happy places. And Josh and Brent are my family mm-hmm. of choice. Um, part of it. And, um, it's, it's where everything is right in the world. And if there's Armageddon, um, Josh is going to kill me for saying this on the podcast, but. Go to Sharon Springs. It's safe there. <laughs> yeah, it looks That's beautiful. where I'll be if hell hits. 
Um, let's do just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Okay, so this is where people write in with things they think or do and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And we tell them whether we also do or think these things. Hmm. Okay, Adam Mulk says, just me or everyone. When I try to open my car door and it's locked, I panic a little even when I have my keys in hand. Um, I'm trying to think of... Well, actually, yes, because I, not to brag, but I have keyless entry, which is an option on my car that I didn't even think I want, but it's my favorite thing ever. And the other day I was trying to open, I was standing near my car with my key in my purse, I thought, and I was trying to, maybe I was trying to lock my car. I can't remember. It wouldn't open though. Um, and I did panic for a second thinking, well, now what do I do? But then it opened. So I guess I do panic a tiny bit. You? I do not panic, and I think Adam should maybe take Uber. <laughs> this is true. Life's too short, Adam. Well, life's too short. You might have a life's too short reaction to many of these. Oh. This is where we indulge. Oh, our- well, okay. I'm all for it. Yeah. Let's see. The Great One says, when putting greeting cards in envelopes, I put the front of the card on the side that you open. I hope this makes sense. It does make sense. Um, I think I do that, but some, but not always. Yeah, I do that because I feel like that's the first thing that people see when they open it. And also, I think in my mind, the front of it is getting franked by postmarks and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. And so it'll get more chewed up. Never thought nice. of it. So I think between those two, yeah. I'm yeah. also in that camp. I do it. Do you remember when putting confetti in mail was like all the rage and you'd buy special colored confetti that was like foily and glittery and then you'd sprinkle it in your no. notes and stuff? I do, and I loathed it then, and I loathe it now. You know what? <laughs> That's the say. kind of stuff that would have been sold at over our heads. Yes, and I loathed that. <laughs> you loathed that set? We all did. We really? were so disappointed. We loved Edna's Edibles. Yeah. And we wanted just to rebuild another did- bakery and not that. Why did, Do you know, what, what? why did they decide to have Edna's Edibles burn down? Storyline, story plot to kind of move it along mm-hmm. and, and change it up and get hipper quote-unquote and not so quaint like a bakery right which is now i mean it would be a coffee house now right but at the day there was a store called camp beverly hills and there was fiorucci in new york yeah. and those sto- heaven there was the the stores those kitsch stores like mm. oz now is the last bastion they were the rage and so you know god bless the networks they want to be right in there <laughs> with the trends right um four degrees says Start serving a homemade salad onto separate plates and worry I'm not distributing the content evenly, fairly. Hashtag avocado chunks. I can relate to that. Totally. You do want to spread it out evenly. Yeah. JMOs for A-Rose says, don't bother to label Ziplocs going in the freezer, then can never identify what's inside them. I don't put a lot of Ziplocs in the freezer, but I do enjoy the fact that the Ziploc bags have that section for you to write in what is in there, even though I don't. I label what I put in the freezer because... Of course you do. Things wind up in there that I have no independent recollection of when they went in there. And if I don't put the date on it, I will be eating something from the Ford administration. I need something on there waving me off going, Jeff, this has been in here for eight years. You should (laughs) not eat this. Okay. That makes sense. It's a warning to future self. Jeff, you need to call Mindy. I'll clean that freezer out. (laughs) (laughs) I have a turkey in there that, that... 
I, I, I honestly have no independent recollection of when I bought it. How do you have room for a turkey in your freezer? Do you have a side by side or an? No, it's um, the it's the drawer. No, it's the, the oh. top side one. It's the, oh, old, t- the, the old one. The retro. The, 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 yeah, the standard. No, I have that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that kind. Yeah, I oh, like that kind. And, we have the side by side, which means you have two parts of your refrigerator freezer that you can't fit a lot in. Right. Mm-hmm. Not only did this turkey wind up in there, I had so much other crap in there that I didn't realize the turkey was in there. I found the turkey while I was cleaning my freezer. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But I haven't thrown it out yet. But I haven't eaten it. That's go, what's important. Go, go home today and do that, would you? Or <laughs> gift it to someone. Or make it. Well, I, it, being that it could be 10 years old, mm. I shouldn't gift it to anyone. Unless I want them to have lockjaw. No. Yeah. yeah. Don't do that. Bad. I say get rid of it. Think of all that space in your freezer. Yeah, that I could do nothing. <laughs> Plus, how frequently are you like, oh, if only I had a turkey right now? Well, the other thing is, this is my crazy reason for keeping it, keeping it is that supposedly your freezer operates more efficiently the more stuff is in there. That is true. And then my I thought is, that. if I'm not going to eat this, and I don't really need the space, isn't it better for me to keep this giant frozen turkey in there? And then should the power go off, it will be in there as a giant block of turkey ice. ice keeping my fri- freezer cold. Okay, that, I guess that does make good sense. Good catastrophic thinking. Which is just my excuse to not throw it out. Okay. Mindy, do you label things in your freezer? I don't need to label anything that's in the freezer. I don't, it, I don't keep things like that. Okay. I'm a big Tupperware chick in the fridge. And you can, I can see what's in there. Right. See, now, what kind of Tupperware, though? Because I like those dis- ones that are disposable, but I don't dispose of them. Okay, I, I have those, but I do prefer glass with a plastic lid. Oh, look at you. I know. You treat yourself I'm well. I'm 50. You'll feel that way when you're 50. Okay. Yeah, you'll get there. <laughs> <You> got time. <laughs> C.T. Olson says, I always feel like I'm going to accidentally break something in antique shops. Hashtag way too much glass. I haven't had that feeling a lot recently. However, there was one time we went to Universal Studios for my friend Holly's birthday. I was like 11 or 12, I think. And we were in the gift shop and there were these little pink panther porcelain figurines that sat on the edge of a shelf with the legs dangling over. And like I turned and knocked three over like in one move and then turned back and knocked another one over. So and I remember Daryl, that was Holly's dad turning around and Susan, Holly's mom, I don't know why I'm using their full names, but their real names. Susan was like, we've got, got to get out of here. <laughs> Daryl's like, what? And Susan's just like, we need to go. <laughs> I, so I felt like a bull in a china shop in that, in that moment. What about you and antique shops? We are separated at birth. I literally was going to say, I'm a bull in a china shop. Okay. And I, I carry felt- usually a large ass bag. So I'm like a double demon. <laughs> it's like I have a tail too. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Panda Elephant says, Panda Elephant 13, excuse me, dislike the thick eyebrow trend for women. So unflattering and silly. They don't need to be 90s thin, but keep them normal. Here's the thing. People are constantly telling me to grow my eyebrows in, and I'm constantly telling them this is as much as they'll grow in. Yes, I pluck like the stragglers underneath, but um, they just, they're thin. I can't help it. So I don't, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I don't know. You know what? You see enough in magazines and then it starts to look good. I think the first time I saw the thick eyebrow trend, I thought I'm not a super big fan of that, but now it looks normal to me in magazines. I am a thick eyebrow person. I like them. Mm -hmm. I think especially for, it frames your face. Yeah. You have good eyebrows. Who does your brows? Thank you. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Naomi. Hi, Naomi. She'll listen too, I'm sure. 
Okay. Naomi and Helen will be listening together. together. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Tawanya Kess says, wake up with a scratch on your face, but no sharp fingernail. Can't figure out how it happened. I'm lucky that I, that doesn't happen to me very often. I don't wake up with weird random scratches on me as if I have a cat, which I don't. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. It's just you, Tawanya. Sorry. Um, and Jen says, sitting in an office and see a painting that is slightly askew, taking me everything not to straighten it. I don't have it that much, but my husband and I were at a doctor's appointment and they had this big, not particularly attractive print on the wall and it was askew and he was, and it took them forever to take us in because they were running late. And the entire time he like, he couldn't stand it. He wanted to just bust back there and straighten it out. Nope. Really? Again, I'm so incredibly compulsive in my life. Nothing in my house would be askew, but it does not bother me. Wouldn't even rattle me. Yeah. No. Interesting. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, it would take so much for me to straighten a painting at someone else's house. It feels really, <laughs> or in, in in an office even, it feels very inappropriate. It's like that's not my job. That's not my business. Mm-hmm. It feels like calling Daniel inappropriate. Are you? I'm just kidding. <laughs> not because kidding. he thought about it, but only but if he, he had did done it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Mindy Cohn. It was so much fun Aww. finally meeting you. Thank you. Likewise. One more question. Yeah. Was shooting Facts of Life Go to Paris as fun as it was for me to watch it over and over and over? Ridiculous. And and uh, the Australian f- feature. I uh, Ridiculous. Yes. Adventures okay. of a Lifetime. Okay, good. Um, anyway, yes. It was so amazing. This is like, I still can't believe this happened. The young me, the adult me can believe it, but young me who literally had a dream that I was hanging out with, like I would dream repeatedly that I was hanging out with you guys. Um, this is amazing. You've been delightful. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You guys, follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. Jeff, where should we go for you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. Okay, and um, you on Twitter now, then. <laughs> All right, Mindy. Let them know where to find you and and plug anything you want them to check out. Okay, ready? Here it is. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Snapchat, but I don't snap a lot. It's all Mindy Cohn. Um, if you're just feeling a little gifty and want to give someone something, check out Heifer International. Spell that. H-E-I-F-E-R International. It's a great way to give to the most amazing organization and help families all over the world and end hunger, women empowerment. Um, yeah, I guess that, and that's about it. Thank you so much, listeners. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time. Yeah, Alison Rosen is your new best.